Welcome to MuggleCast episode 420. I'm Andrew. I'm Eric. I'm Laura. Micah still isn't here. Where did he Where did he go? Come back, Micah. <laughs> Maybe but he we're... went to the cave. <laughs> he went back to the cave. <laughs> but uh, we're joined by one of our Slug Club members this week, Alexa. Hi, Alexa. Hi, guys. We should warn all of our listeners now, if you have the Amazon device... <laughs> you might just want to unplug it yeah, while listening may, to this episode. You may want to disable that. Yeah. Wow. I can't believe Amazon stole that name from you. It's pretty. I would be so annoyed. It's pretty annoying, but I get some good jokes from people. So I was going to say, I can't believe Amazon loaned us Alexa for the day. This is so exciting. That is kind of cool. Yeah. Alexa, start a timer, please. <laughs> <laughs> Starting a timer. this is like this reminds me of uh, obviously my last name is sims and every other person when they hear it for the first time they're like oh did you invent the video game and at this point i'm just like yeah yep i invented the video game i'm a billionaire if only yeah so uh, anyway alexa let's get your fandom id All right, so my favorite book is Prisoner of Azkaban. My favorite movie is Half-Blood Prince. I am a Ravenclaw. My Evermorny house is a Wampus, or is Wampus. My Patronus is a Polar Bear. And the question I have for J.K. Rowling is, why did she first call it the Put-Outer, and then she changed it to the Deluminator? I've always been intrigued if she just couldn't think of a cooler name during Sorcerer's Stone. And she's like, oh, the put-outer, I could probably come up with a better name. Or if it was like a prototype. Huh. Huh, that's a really good question. I would guess it was those damn American editors who were like, oh, Deluminator, that's too advanced of a word. <laughs> we need to call it the put-outer for the kitties. And then book two or whatever book it appeared in next, J.K. Rowling was like, well, now I'm successful. I get to do whatever I want. And I'm actually going to call it what I wanted to call it, which is the Deluminator. Yeah. I just always assumed it was referred to as the put-outer because that was what we saw it doing, put out the lights. It put out the lights. And because book one, it is sort of written more childlike, um, but also we're outsiders looking into the wizarding world. That we see Dumbledore use this device, it puts out the lights, like, we call it the put-outer, it's efficient. Um, Later, when it's time to read Dumbledore's will, you know, Rufus Scrimgeour can call it the deluminator all he wants, but in reality, it will always be my put-outer. Yeah, that's a good point. So, on today's show, we are going to go through Half-Blood Prince Chapter 28. We also got some muggle mail as well, but first... Some news items. I I had to talk about this. I wasn't planning on it, but everybody on social media is uh, a light. (laughs) Everybody wants to talk about this. Uh, (laughs) These new Harry Potter shoes from Vans have struck a nerve with people. So people were really looking forward to this collaboration between Vans, the very popular shoe brand, and the Wizarding World. And they released the shoes and... The options are very limited. Each house, Hogwarts house, only has one type of shoe. And each Hogwarts house is a different shoe. And what I couldn't believe, and I guess I was kind of trolling a little bit, I could not believe that Hufflepuffs get stuck with the slip-on shoes. And not only that, the Hufflepuffs have the worst shoe design of the four. Am I wrong? 
you know. Not at all. As a Pottermore Hufflepuff, uh, we love comfort. We love the ability just to slip on some shoes and head out the door. If we really have to go outside, working in the garden, slip on shoes, they're great. We don't get dirt in our laces. You know, I tried. Okay, yeah, these are bad shoes. <laughs> yeah, they're they're pretty bad. And I'm upset that the only high top options are for Gryffindors and then they have the mixed house ones. I, I will say it's never been cooler to be a Slytherin. Yeah. The Slytherin, it's almost like snake scale on the outside, yes. it looks like. Like, these are the coolest shoes I can imagine ever wearing. Yeah. Yeah, the Slytherin shoes are definitely the best. Yeah, they're mm-hmm. pretty cool. Um, but because they each chose a different style to represent each of the Hogwarts houses, I can't do what I would, I guess, normally consider doing, which is mix up the houses. You know, one left shoe in Gryffindor, one right shoe in Hufflepuff. You know, you can't really have any. If you buy two pair and mix and match, you can't really do that. Right, because they're completely different shoes. Completely, you'd be, we'd be off balance, you know. Yeah. Yeah, so... um, You know, like I said, I was... I said on Twitter that Hufflepuffs, as usual, got effed <laughs> with the Vans line. <laughs> uh, and, you know, some people... In fairness, some Hufflepuffs were like, hey, I really like these shoes. What are you talking about? Stop being so mean. Um, But others, I think one of the biggest problems was that the Hufflepuff shoes also just have the dumbest design. They just slapped on the badger in the toe area. And that was it. Yeah, other shoes have the house colors take over the entire shoe. Mm -hmm. And on Hufflepuff, it's just the little badger and a little bit of yellow, but it's a mostly black shoe. Right. And the yellow that you see is on the bottom. It's pretty ridiculous. It's definitely, you know, there was not as much design time allocated for the Hufflepuff shoe, it seems. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So in some, well, any of you, do you think you'll be buying these shoes? Um, Anyone? I'm considering it. I'm probably going to get the Slytherin ones for Mark. Okay. Because I sent them to him and I was like, would you wear these if I got them for you? And he was like, oh, hell yes. So <laughs> probably get those. Yeah. I do like the Ravenclaw ones. Um, I do. I know, Andrew, you think slip-ons are tacky. I kind of wish they offered them in the slip-on variety. <laughs> oh, Laura. <laughs> okay. You know, even the snitch shoes, because they also have these snitch uh, shoes with golden snitch wings on the side are a cooler looking shoe than the Hufflepuff shoe. Mm. I agree. Now that I've seen this snitch design, I kind of want them. Yeah. Yeah. And it has the eye open at the clothes on the back of them. Yes. Yeah, cool. And laces for crying out loud. Laces. Yeah. yeah so I, laces. I wanted to also mention that Vans did a bunch of other shoes, not customizable, not specific to Hogwarts houses, but they have some other nice designs there, like that golden snitch one. And uh, they have a, a Death Eater style shoe one or two others and then they've got a collection of nice house specific shirts and hats so the collection overall i think is pretty good it reminds me of what's available in box lunch those stores that you see in the mall it's like hot topic but not goth (laughs) so check them out if you want also just want to mention universal orlando is opening a new ride this week at the wizarding world of harry potter hagrid's magic oh hold on wait i have to draw a big breath first Hagrid's Magical Creatures Motorbike Adventure. It opens this Thursday. I'm actually in Orlando right now for the opening, and I haven't ridden the ride yet, but I will be in a couple days. And on next week's episode, we will talk about it. But it's very exciting, and thank God for these theme park wars. Disney just opened their Star Wars land over in California, and their second Star Wars land opens here in Florida uh, later this year. 
So Universal responded by adding a new ride to the Wizarding World. And this is just going to keep happening where they're just going to keep being so competitive. And hopefully this is one of uh, several more Harry Potter rides that are going to be added to the parks. Yeah, I, I'm really jealous that you're there. <laughs> I yeah, will, I am too. Yeah, yeah. I will. Uh, well, sorry. <laughs> Eric, Eric, Mike, and I are actually going to come down here in August. And Laura, of course, you're yeah, invited. It was supposed to... to be special. It was supposed to be our thing in August. What? But you got an invite. Well, if Universal yeah. invited me, I'm not waiting for you guys. To heck with you guys. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, we'll go. We'll go down in in August and I'll ride it together. That'll be fun. Let's jump to emails. Eric, do you want to read the first one? This one comes from Allie. Allie says, I just finished listening to your discussion on Half-Blood Prince, Chapter 27, The Lightning Struck Tower. It got me thinking about Dumbledore and Snape's plans for Dumbledore's death. It seems clear that Dumbledore was planning to die upon returning to Hogsmeade after retrieving the locket Horcrux, because he asked Harry to get Snape immediately after they arrive. However, it doesn't seem like Dumbledore was expecting the Death Eaters to be in the school, as the sight of the Dark Mark supercharges him into action. What do you think would have happened if the Death Eaters weren't there? Do you think that Dumbledore planned to have Harry witness Snape killing him if he had the choice? If so, I wonder if Dumbledore was concerned at all for Harry's well-being after witnessing yet another death of a friend. Even though Dumbledore is one of my favorite characters of all time, I can't help but be saddened that we'd have to add another item to the list of effed up things that Dumbledore has done for the greater good. Maybe Dumbledore was planning to have somebody else witness Snape kill him, just so Snape could keep up his reputation as a Death Eater alive. I would love to know your thoughts. I yeah, I have a feeling that Dumbledore's plan was for Harry to go get Snape and for Snape to immobilize Harry somewhere away from the tower mm. so that Snape could then go get Draco and bring him up to the tower and then they could do the deed. Mm. And then poor Harry has to... Yeah. I kind of prefer Harry seeing Dumbledore die just so he's the first one to know. Because yeah. it also would have sucked if Harry had to find out through like some random ass student who's like, Dumbledore's dead on the ground over there. You know, that would suck. Also would have sucked for us as readers. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I always thought that he was... He told him to go get Snape because of the curse. So Snape would have known how to deal with the potion that he drank that made Dumbledore so weak. Yeah. But I guess, you know, I don't know if he was necessarily planning to die that particular night, but maybe he knew that Draco was going to keep trying to, you know, kill him regardless. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Dumbledore asking Harry to get Snape is perfectly innocent because he's injured and he trusts, you know, Snape to be able to to fix it because Snape has been helping him deal with his cursed arm all year. And when Harry suggests they go get Madame Pomfrey, Dumbledore's like, no, I need Snape. But it's possible that because of the dark mark over the school, he needs Snape for that other reason. Um, and really doesn't expect to see Draco, possibly. Yeah. Okay. Thank you for that, Allie. This next one comes from Jacob. We were talking about the Harry Potter DVD collection options out there, and I thought Jacob had the most succinct answer on this. He said, the big crazy box that you guys were talking about in 419 was the Harry Potter Wizard Collection. The Harry Potter Hogwarts Collection, however, includes all the discs from the Wizarding Collection, but without all the gimmicks. 
and it's around $140 on Amazon. This collection is amazing. It comes in a really nice photo album style box. It contains 31 discs, which include all of the movies on DVD, all the movies on regular Blu-ray, the first two movies on an extra DVD with the deleted scenes and extended scenes included, and the last two movies on 3D Blu-ray as a bonus. It also includes all these special features DVDs that were included with the original DVD releases, which have all the deleted scenes on them as well. Uh, on and on and on. So basically, he's saying he recommends the Harry Potter Hogwarts collection because it contains basically everything known to man. Except outtakes, which have never existed on a disc, a blooper reel. And I remember which... we used to hope, like, oh, maybe one day there will be another collection that'll include those. They exist, as far as I'm aware. When I asked David Yates about it um, in an interview at the theme park down probably 2011 for that home entertainment celebration, he said that they were not only uh, in existence, but coming out on the then proposed Hogwarts collection, hmm. uh, which did not end up happening. So unless it's a, a secret, an extra disc, nobody's discovered yet in one of those quote gimmicky compartments. Um, <laughs> it's still hidden Yates, from everyone. Yates lied. Yeah. Wow. I mean, you know, or, or didn't know, but the 31 discs for this Hogwarts collection, I understand it's infinitive, uh, definitive, but 31 discs still seems way too many discs. There are eight films, you know, 31 Blu-rays, like 31 different discs to arrange all the content. Clearly nobody's taken like an overhand and just decided to like condense and combine some special features from certain, uh, you know, other movies discs. Like, do they still have that? interactive menus uh from like the first two know. films i don't know you know like, yeah they definitely still have those on the dvd because i was watching it the other day <laughs> it's kind of cool that a four-time harry potter director lied to you that's like a cool honor i mean it was it was sly i didn't even i didn't even know you know i, I didn't even catch the lie but he probably just made it up like... just to please you because you were probably in your hogwarts cloak right you you were like clearly a big fan he didn't <laughs> want to disappoint him. you Ah, uh, yes, yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. Eric. Sure, you're going to get outtakes. Absolutely. Yeah, well, he's a six-time director now, and I'm pissed. <laughs> By the way, it's being reported from the Wall Street Journal this week that Warner Brothers' forthcoming streaming app, and this will be the exclusive home of the Harry Potter movies and the Fantastic Beast movies, is going to include is going to cost sixteen to seventy seventeen dollars per month, which sounds high, but it will also include HBO and Cinemax, which on their own cost fifteen dollars per month currently. So, you know, this is so it would actually include all of them. Yeah, Th this this won't be out till late la next late this year or early next year. So that price could very well change. But um, and it will just be the movies. Does anyone does anyone actually use Cinemax? No, like <laughs> I'm just I'm trying to think about like the value here. <laughs> I think. And with Game of Thrones being over. I think Corman's, J.K. Rowling's Corman Strike is on Cinemax, funnily enough. I do actually think it's on Cinemax yeah. and not Showtime, because I was trying to go watch that. It is. I just Googled it. Oh, man. Poor J.K. Rowling. Why did they put that on Cinemax? It should have been on HBO. I would have watched it then. But yeah, Laura, you're right. Nobody watches Cinemax. All right. Well, before we get to chapter by chapter... It's time uh, to tell you about one of our sponsors this week, Scentbird. They are saving me down here in Orlando. Oh, my God. I was a sponge in the Magic Kingdom yesterday. Just absolutely a wreck. Oh, gross. Uh, yeah, but I brought Scentbird cologne with me. 
And uh, you may wear cologne, too. And whatever scent you may be wearing, you have good taste and you know what you like. But your great taste is also expensive and you end up with a shelf full of half-used bottles. Or you've been wearing the same one cologne you were gifted years ago because going out to buy a new one is a hassle. With Scentbird, I found a way to have great taste without breaking the bank. Whether it's Versace, Gucci, or Dolce & Gabbana, Scentbird.com keeps me smelling good month after month. And what I love about cologne is that it makes you memorable. It makes an impression on people that you're meeting, and it's a good impression. And it's one of those signs that you take care of yourself. And down here in Orlando, you need it to not smell embarrassing. But I'm also not someone who needs cologne often. I need it down here. I need it at special events. So I don't use it too often. But when I need it, I need it. And I don't want to pay the high prices. So Scentbird lets me pick from more than 450 designer brands with sizes that last for a few months. Each bottle includes 120 sprays. That's, that's a lifetime for me and probably for a lot of you listening out there. And if you're like me, you're not a cologne or perfume expert. You just know what smells good. So Scentbird lets you sort colognes and perfumes by brand, occasion, season, style. And they even have a true scent quiz so you can get personalized recommendations. This is the way to get a variety of cologne or perfume options without paying high prices and making these huge commitments. And with an exclusive offer just for our listeners, you can get 50% off your first month today. That's only $7.50 for your first fragrance. Go to Semper.com slash MuggleCast and use my code MuggleCast for 50% off your first month. Again, that's S-C-E-N-T, Bird.com slash MuggleCast for you to try your first cologne or perfume for just $7.50. Sign on and smell amazing. Laura, you use them too, right? I do. Yeah. yeah. Um, I really like it because I actually wear quite a bit of perfume. Um, I like to smell good all the time. Mm. But it's so nice that I'm able to switch up what I'm using day to day without having to spend lots of money to have separate full size bottles of everything that I like to wear. Yeah. So taking up your whole vanity. Yeah. Well, also, it's great because um, they to they fit super nicely in my purse. So I can like, yeah, bring one with me to work without it being a full bottle, which I've been known to do in the past. So <laughs> um, this makes it way more convenient. Awesome. Awesome. All right. Time now for Half-Blood Prince, chapter by chapter, chapter 28, Flight of the Prince. We'll start with our seven word summary. Harry. I'm trying to decide how I want to take this. <laughs> hmm. Chases. Snape. Down. All right. I, I like how this is going. On to. The. <laughs> what? <laughs> Why? <laughs> Down onto the. Hmm. I guess I'll just say grounds. Yeah. That's, mm -hmm. you know, it could be worse. It could be worse. <laughs> so, Laura, you're going to lead us through this chapter this week, right? Yes. Thank you. Yes. Mm -hmm. um, so for our scene-by-scene -scene analysis, we pick up right where we left off with chapter 27, with Harry actually feeling like he, too, is hurtling through space, much like Dumbledore did at the end of the last chapter. Um, we kind of see him going through this initial... Uh, stages of denial in terms of just like shock, right? Um, and all he can focus on is finding Snape and Dumbledore because he feels like he could reverse what had happened if he had them both together. And he even thinks like Dumbledore could not have died. And I'm wondering, can any of us relate to this? 
I'm wondering, have we ever had a time or event in our lives that threw us for this kind of loop? Yeah, definitely. Not so much with losing a loved one, but um, that has definitely happened. And you just feel like it's just like an out-of-body experience or even like a work moment Mm -hmm. where you're like, oh, bleep. (laughs) Like you could just have these really (laughs) out-of-body moments, very shocking moments where you're just like, wow, this changes everything. And it's an it's a terrible feeling. Uh, your mm-hmm. stomach drops. It's just the worst. Yeah, yeah. The time itself seems to slow. Reality seems less real. Definitely an experience. I think we all have at some point mm-hmm. in our lives. Yeah, it's it's almost movie esque when this happens. Like when you think back on it, I I've had a couple of occasions like this. Like I remember when I was in high school, I found out while I was at school, um, that one of my really good friends, uh, mother had died and I had been really close with her. And I literally found out cause somebody came up to me in the hall and told me, and it was like everything around me just stopped, oh, Yeah, you know, yeah. and it like got kind of blurry and it was just the weirdest experience. So when I was reading this, it definitely resonated with me. Mm-hmm. Um, we also see Harry sort of in denial about, Dumbledore being dead because it's like this is Dumbledore right he's so he's larger than life he can't be dead um have any of us had reactions like this to big figures dying I know a a good example for me honestly and it's very pertinent for this podcast Alan Rickman yeah in my head I still don't think of him as dead you know yeah, because in the case of Alan Rickman, we all grew up watching him. So in a way, he was kind of like a father figure, whether you watch him only in the Harry Potter movies or you watched him in other movies as well. Um, but yeah, you definitely you, you feel this way losing a loved one or maybe just seeing another celebrity die, like maybe mm-hmm. take Michael Jackson or Prince, these iconic figures that we look up to suddenly uh, go too soon in a lot of cases unfortunately you know the new aladdin movie is out and i hear very good things but i'm still not over robin williams's death yeah Mm -hmm. yeah right exactly yeah so that's a good point you know as to what harry you know kind of gets this inkling that he could reverse what happened if he could only get snape and dumbledore back together i wanted to ask the question can he actually reverse it i know we think there's no spell to bring people back from the dead but harry has this you know, sort of sixth sense uh, about what has just happened. And I'd like to believe it's all complete denial, but something about the writing tells me maybe there was something Harry could do, or maybe the process can be reversed if only Harry specifically gets Snape back to Dumbledore. We know it's never going to work out and Snape wants nothing to do with it, but can we speculate? Is there something that maybe that Harry could have done? A time turner? Yeah. Well, a time turner, or I was thinking maybe uh, split his own soul and give half of it to Dumbledore so Dumbledore could come back. But, you know, maybe then he'd have Voldemort's soul and it would be a big problem. But <laughs> Well, and yeah. I think also Harry in this moment is just in denial about the situation. So mm-hmm. he's so like, too. no, there mu- this can't be. There must be a way to undo this. And, um, I mean, unfortunately, there isn't, so... Yeah, he's yeah, think- like, damn them for destroying all the time turners. <laughs> <laughs> Except old, one. Yep. Yeah. Good old two spells Harry is going to fix everything, he thinks. Yeah, it's a shame. So after this happens, Harry is running through the hallways trying to get to the ground so he can 
chase after Snape. And the first person he's able to identify in all the fighting he comes across is Ginny, which I thought was really nice. It's a kind of nice connecting the threads moment. Um, You know, in book two, Harry goes to rescue Ginny. In this case, she is here backing Harry up. Yeah. uh, And fighting Death Eaters. So I thought that was a nice moment. Mm -hmm. Um, But she's fighting Amicus. Which is a little awkward because he becomes the Defense Against the Dark Arts teacher yeah. <laughs> the following yeah. year. <laughs> and he calls her pretty. He calls yeah. her pretty, too. It's kind of, ooh, please. And, and this is the sickening part of the next book. You're watching Hogwarts be taken over by these awful people. And this is just foreshadowing that. Yeah. And I kind of forgot how literally bloody this scene was. And I'm wondering if it's because my recollections of the book had sort of been overridden by movieisms, but it there are literally unidentified dead people on the floor while all of this is happening and harry notices that his sneakers are like slick with blood yeah and as i was reading this i was like whoa this is holy crap yeah <laughs> this is dark no, you're right yeah, and he steps over one of the people mm-hmm do we ever find out who these people are no i mean it's yeah it's neville and flitwick um, are the people who are bloody, but they're going to be totally okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, we see them in the hospital wing later. And the only other person that was said to be dead was Bill. Uh, I think it's just a way of, like, J.K. Rowling's very descriptive in making it seem like it's a big deal. But ultimately, you know, and maybe this is why it's not in the film. Nobody dies in the end. Um, there's really no, it's not like a net zero it's not like a zero-sum kind of game because it's a big deal that Death Eaters are in the castle. But it would be a bit repetitive to do this in book six and then have a battle of Hogwarts in book seven. So because nobody dies, in the end, maybe that's why it was left out. Except to say J.K. Rowling is trying really hard to show you that there are big stakes. That it's a big deal that the Death Eaters um, you know, could get in. Mm. But because of the Ginny and, and all of them taking Felix Felicis, she even says, oh, you know, without your potion, I'm sure we would have died, but the spells just seem to to miss us. It just kind of, in the end, the stakes were very low mm-hmm. or the results were very, very low. Yeah. And I think J.K. Rowling's just being clever about hiding that. I still think I would have liked to see a little bit of this in the movie, though. I would have, too. Oh, and I actually specifically yeah. remember the filmmakers had said they didn't want to add this because they knew there was going to be a battle in number seven so they didn't want both of them ending with battles which really doesn't make sense to me because it's still a movie like it doesn't matter how many movies there are you need a big ending yeah and half-blood prince's ending is pretty tame yeah yeah i i put a note in here for us to talk about the ending of the movie a little bit later but i agree when i was rereading this i was like wait this is way more intense than I recall the movie being. Mm-hmm. Um, but we can get into that in a little bit. Um, so I have a question, and I thought it was a question that might appeal to you, Andrew. Hmm. Why are random students just out and about while all this is happening? <laughs> yeah. Like, this is just yet more evidence of the fact that Hogwarts can be kind of a security nightmare. A security nightmare, Laura. <laughs> Definitely not the safest place. No. Well, yeah. And so here's my question. I cannot believe that there wouldn't be a system in place to say once Hogwarts's like protective enchantments and such have been breached, the common rooms should just lock down yeah. and prevent students from leaving. Yeah. 
I totally agree with you. I guess the students were just curious, like, oh, what's that noise? Let's just go see what the noise is. But wow, even from just as a student, that's really dumb of you, I think. Well, I don't know. Maybe I guess naturally I would go see what the ruckus was about as well. But yeah, there should be something like you should see the 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 gates closing down on the common rooms. The portraits are locking themselves up. Nobody out. Everybody has to stay in. Um, yeah, it, it does seem really dangerous. Hopefully this was something fixed in the post Dumbledore era. <laughs> Hopefully. I mean, clearly, he, I, I don't think he totally anticipated the Death Eaters to be there. Um but at the same time, I would think that something as simple as like, hey, if a dark mark is ever cast on Hogwarts grounds, shut everything right. down. A simple <laughs> if then spell. Your dorms. Well, and you think about what's happened in previous books at the castle, even just on that stuff alone, there should be some security measures put in place. I mean, the basilisk for starters. Yeah, yeah, I would agree. And, and I'm just trying to think like if they locked all the common rooms down, Hogwarts would be short its defenders, right? We wouldn't have students who could go and fight on behalf of the school mm-hmm. but then then the bad guys would just overrun hogwarts and there'd be more of them so i'm trying to think like what the best result for everybody is because i think dumbledore is probably relying on the people who can get out of the rooms to like fight and save the school yeah but and they're... we're not even sure that these are all students that are part of the da like ernie but mm. they're just random students yeah, I mean, when Harry pushes past Ernie, he's with, like, a gaggle of Hufflepuffs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so now we're geese to you, Laura? <laughs> no! I think they literally use that word. Oh. That's pretty funny. And I think the scene J.K. Rowling even wrote on that in, in the rush of the moment, all the Hufflepuffs put on their van slip-on shoes and headed downstairs. <laughs> it's so easy and convenient to just you know slip what? on. That's true. Yeah, if you're... If you're in the moment of your school being invaded by Death Eaters and you got to slip on some shoes real quick that are going to be comfortable and have traction so you can run across those bloodied halls, yeah. I, you know, those slip-ons come comfort, in clutch. Comfort and efficiency. <laughs> you know, I got to look at the tread of these vans because if there's a big pool of blood and there's, the tread isn't that great, I'm just going to slide along and fall on my ass. I think comfort and efficiency should be the new Hufflepuff slogan. (laughs) (laughs) Loyal, comfort, and efficient. Vans is forcing that one on them, so you might get it. Yeah. (laughs) But maybe I think J.K. Rowling also wanted to just write a chaotic scene here, and that's why she sent so many students down into the the battle zone. Because if they weren't there, I guess it wouldn't have been as crazy in a good way just visually it it sounds better i think yeah Yeah. well i think that's the justification for a lot of situations where students end up in the middle of places they shouldn't be Mm -hmm. at hogwarts Mm -hmm. the story just wouldn't be as good if they weren't there so Mm -hmm. i think we can all suspend disbelief and accept this but at the same time from a practical standpoint of like people who have attended schools. <laughs> it's like, this is not how this would happen. We've all done lockdowns. Oh, yeah. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> so Harry manages to gain on Snape, and he realizes that Hagrid is also trying to help as well, which is so sweet. Mm-hmm. But then one of the Death Eaters sets Hagrid's hut on fire, and I forgot about this until I read it, but Fang was still inside it. Mm. Yep. Yeah, because Hagrid thought- says something. Yeah, and like the way Hagrid says it, he's literally like, Fang's inside there, you, and like he starts fighting them. 
If somebody set my house on fire with my dog inside, that would not be my response. I would just like let out this blood curdling scream mm. and then kill whoever did it. I would I would definitely lose it. Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah, of course. I just love that you felt like you had to say that because, yeah, <laughs> very much so. Well, just like the way he responds to it is kind of like it kind of made me laugh a little bit because he's literally like uh, fangs in there. Yeah. And then like it cuts off as he starts like trying to fight them. And I was like, no, I would be freaking out way worse than that. Hey, but Fang made it. He did. Fang, he did. Harriet Hagrid carried him out. It's very sweet. Mm-hmm. Very, very sweet scene. I was trying to figure out who the hell this uh, Death Eater was. Yeah, me too. Yeah, because he's just referred to as the big blonde Death Eater. And I guess that's fine because in the moment, like, if Harry doesn't know him, that's it. We were seeing this story through Harry's eyes, so that's all we're going to get. But I did Google it. Thank you, uh, Google. And it says uh, Thorfinn Roll, Raoul, Roll, is the Death Eater that set Hagrid's hut on fire. So you can send your hate mail uh, to him. Um, (laughs) What a jerk. (laughs) I mean, he didn't. I don't think he knew that the dog was in the hut. He just, you know, is going for, for in a show. fairness. Yeah, I mean, Laura, with that in mind, would you still destroy him? Yeah, it's my house. Yeah, he probably didn't care. Yeah, he like, also yeah. So I don't think somebody who is malicious enough to be like, you know what, I'm going to set that person's house on fire for no reason. <laughs> yeah. I don't think we can give them the benefit of the doubt of being like, oh, but they, he didn't know there was a dog inside. <laughs> He didn't know there were small children in the house. (laughs) Like, come on, let's cut him some slack. And then later, Harry's like, well, I guess we should put your hut out. We should put some water on it. (laughs) (laughs) And then Harry needs to remind Hagrid of the water spell. And I'm like, really, dude? You have gardens. You work outside. How do you not know the water spell? I can't suspend my disbelief for that one. I think J.K. Rowling needs to rewrite that. I mean, maybe it's just that he was freaking out because Fang almost died and his house is on fire and he just well, you okay. know, was a little anxious. Yeah, like fire, fire, but we have no wood, you know, kind of like her. That's fair. But I feel like the ongoing thing with Hagrid is he's not the brightest bulb in the box. So to me, this was more about Hagrid just being dumb and not well read. I was going to make the point that it's been 53 years since he's been to school. But he lives at a school, and your point about gardening totally proves it. Like, he should know the water And it's spell. to conjure, conjure a an element of Earth. Like, that's a big one that you should know. <laughs> yeah, and he can, you know, give someone a pigtail, but can't well, that was an accident. remember water. Right. And what if you, like, go out into the Forbidden Forest for a day? Shouldn't you have that spell ready to go so you don't have to carry water bottles and whatnot? I just oh, can't believe this at all. I do wonder how much Hagrid uses magic on just like a daily basis, because isn't his wand snapped and he has it in the umbrella? Mm. I mean, I'm pretty sure this is the first real confirmation that Mm -hmm. Hagrid's wand now lives in his umbrella or whatever's left of it does, because we see him use it to help put out his house. But uh, I don't get the impression altogether that he uses it very much. Yeah. Well, just based on what happened when Ron's wand was busted... We know that if you're using a broken wand to perform magic, it doesn't work as you would expect it to. So I would think that that would sort of be that would disincentivize Hagrid from using magic because it's like, well, it's probably not going to work 
the way it's supposed to most of the time. And Hagrid just seems like one of the characters in the series who's sort of become accustomed to living in the wizarding world and not being able to, you know, perform magic. And yet he still calls on a regular basis. He still calls Filch yeah. a sneak and squib or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That 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 feels that rings uncomfortable for me. Yeah, well, you know, everybody carries their own set of prejudices, I suppose. Yeah. So moving on, Harry tries to use the Cruciatus curse on Snape, and Snape quickly knocks Harry back on his ass. Um, was this sort of like the first piece of evidence where we as readers were thinking like, oh, maybe Snape is actually good. Maybe there was some rhyme or reason behind what he did. You know, kind of wondering like, if he really was evil, why not kill Harry or at least hurt him worse than just knocking him back on off his feet? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it was a good sign. And I know you're about to mention this, but I think it is relevant now. Um, Snape does bring up to other Death Eaters, no, we can't kill him because he is the Dark Lords to kill, to fight. So um, he was lucky in that he had that excuse to use in these scenarios. Yeah, definitely. And so he he could play the bad guy, but also like, oh, but I don't want to kill him. Yeah. And throughout all of this, he is still taking the opportunity to talk smack on Harry's dad. <laughs> yeah. To Harry. And, and so that's why, you know, we can't help but feel so conflicted over him. Well, I'm wondering, is this useful for him to do this? No, because um, because his other dad just died. And now he has to bring up... <laughs> his other dad. Yeah, I mean, really. He was a father figure to Harry, yeah. Dumbledore was. And, and Snape is just kicking him when he is down. It's awful. I think this is... This scene is better read slowly and outside of the context of like the happenings of the book because like this stuff about james potter using his own spells against him is profound like it's it's, it means something you can tell that snape cares about the idea that his own spells would be used against him yada yada yada. but in the book when it's happening in his reveal it seems quick and hollow and I don't think any of this information or even Snape's taunts land properly because we are still blinded by needing to get Snape, needing to prevent him from leaving, needing to put Hagrid's house out. And so a lot of the information, like even when he, when Snape comes out and says, it's I, the Half-Blood Prince, it's like, and then it like disappears and it's gone. You're just like, holy crap, all this information was dumped real quickly and now it's, you don't have any time to really process it. I think like the internal workings of snape's mind are laid bare here we see his rage we we see how much he hates being called a coward but there's no you know it does seem kind of like he's just getting another jab in james when really i think it's like the underlyingness of his psyche right now is he's just performed the least cowardly act anyone can be called upon to do um and is still putting up this front to the entire world about his true allegiances while having to kill his own best friend and mentor. And this pissant Harry is getting in the way and like throwing his own spells at him. He's going to react to that. Yeah, definitely. Do we think that this is Snape sort of like trying to stay in character so that Harry doesn't suspect that there was like an ulterior motive going on here? Or is he literally just deferring to his like base nature? I said I think that he was just being himself. I mean, he, we know how much he hates James, and 
he's still going to hate him regardless of his, you know, bigger mission of trying to protect Harry until the end. So I still think he gets some sort of sick satisfaction or joy out of, you know, taunting James in front of Harry and kind of saying like, oh, you're doing the same thing your dad did. I don't think it's right, but I think it's just generally how much he hated James. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think this could also be Snape being very literal about the promise that he made to protect Harry. You know, he's like, I'll protect him to the extent that I won't let him die. But that doesn't mean I have to be nice to him. Right. I don't need to protect his mental state. That's not my job. (laughs) (laughs) Somebody else can take care of that. But see, the thing that I find interesting through all of this is that he's still teaching Harry. Yeah. I know that when I first read the book, I didn't really read it this way because, again, like Eric said, I was so blinded by everything that was going on in the wake of Dumbledore's death. Um, But he says to Harry, blocked again and again and again until you learn to keep your mouth shut and your mind closed, Potter. Mm -hmm. Yep. But funnily enough... Harry it's... just does not care about that right nope. now. And <laughs> hopefully he's committing this to memory, but he's not really paying attention to what Snape is saying. I would really love to have seen this matter. I would really love to have seen learning nonverbal spells and practicing legitimacy to be a big deal in defeating Voldemort. Mm-hmm. It's not. But <laughs> Snape is doing the best. Snape is doing the absolute best he can to teach Harry. And that's why I kind of read a lot of this a little differently. Snape has to still find a way to be the big bad that Harry thinks he is. He has to still find a way for... Otherwise, Harry might not believe that he's such a bad guy and won't tell the rest of, you know, the Order of the Phoenix what happened and all this other stuff. Like, he has to absolutely become the villain now. And so taunting Harry is the tried and tested, you know, way of getting to Harry's heart and emotions getting in his head without actually killing him or firing spells that hurt him. Yeah, and I just thought about it. But, I mean, thinking on that aspect, he's telling Harry to still shut his mind because Harry is really bad at shutting his mind. Mm -hmm. So Snape almost has to be the big bad villain because if Harry doesn't think that Snape is all bad, then he could let Voldemort into his head and it could ruin everything. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that kind of that's supported later in book seven when we find out that Dumbledore asked Snape to give Harry the sword of Gryffindor. Mm. But he explicitly was like, you have to give it to him without him knowing it was you (laughs) because he's really bad at keeping his mind closed and Voldemort (laughs) will find out. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Oh, my God. Well, and, and it wasn't until this reread that I really noticed, but his whole... This mind closed thing. It's not just that Snape is extremely good at blocking spells. Because he is. Every Everything that Harry wants to shoot at him, he immediately reflects. And I'm like, oh my god. He does it not verbally. He's really good at blocking. But it is also that Harry's mind is so open that Snape can literally read what he's about to do before he even does it. Mm-hmm. So that's like, it's the one-two punch of why Harry could never succeed against an actual grown wizard. Until he does. Definitely. So following this moment, Snape is able to write off killing Harry based on Voldemort's orders. We see him telling the other Death Eaters, no, you know, the Dark Lord wants him. What if, sort of in an alternate universe, someone else 
did kill Harry against Voldemort's commands, what do we think would happen? What would Voldemort do if he found out that somebody else killed Harry? He'd be pissed. <laughs> he would kill that person. Yeah. yeah. I guess I guess Voldemort would be a little glad that he was dead. It would save him some time. He could go on vacation a little earlier than he was hoping. But yeah, I think I think he would absolutely <laughs> be pissed. And he then go back to Albania. Yeah. I was going <laughs> to say that's Albania, Voldemort's baby. vacation spot. Yeah. His nose would grow back like <laughs> he would look human again. No, but yeah, yeah, he he uh, he would absolutely be pissed. And then also just like, what about us as readers? Like, oh, surprise, there aren't seven books, actually. I was lying to all of you the whole time. There's actually going to be six. <laughs> or all of book seven is an epilogue. Um, you know, I think this would be interesting just because it would call the legitimacy of the prophecy into question. Like, I could see a Death Eater, like say a Death Eater kills Harry. Or a Death Eater is led to believe that they've killed Harry. I feel like that could be an interesting Mm -hmm. turn of events, too. Um, But I could see that person being like, well, wait, only Voldemort's supposed to be able to do this, and I just did it. So was this kid really the chosen one? And was the prophecy between he and Voldemort real? Right. Because Dumbledore's talked about this time and time again, which is that the only reason the prophecy is legitimate is because Voldemort takes it seriously. Exactly. If he had chosen to never act on it, nothing would have happened. Right, right. In this very book, he was he was emphasizing that. Mm-hmm. So. I, I, just, I always think the spell would just um, rebound again. Whoever casts a, a death curse at Harry would see it ricochet like it did when he was a baby. I don't know what's changed to make that not the case. Mm. I think Harry is possibly functionally immortal. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of view it as the fact that nobody successfully gets off a killing curse that hits Harry between now and into the forest again when he is killed by Voldemort, but we know he survives that. I wonder if it's just luck be- and good writing that that didn't happen because I think it would have rebounded again. Hmm. No proof for it. I just kind of always thought that was the case. Maybe this is another question we can ask J.K. Rowling. <laughs> this is Eric's one question asked J.K. Rowling. <laughs> yeah, probably. My one of many. <laughs> so then after this, we get the big reveal. It says he and this is referring to Snape, was no longer sneering or jeering. The blazing flame showed a face full of rage. You dare use my own spells against me, Potter? It was I who invented them. I, the half-blood prince. (laughs) I. (laughs) Sorry, the way I read that came across not. Let's do that as Micah voices, everybody. I thought that was good, Laura. (laughs) Yeah. I, the half-blood prince. (laughs) My Micah voice. (laughs) And you turned my own inventions on me like your filthy father, would you? Yeah. So what did we make of this scene when we first read it? Were we shocked? Um, well, I can't really remember, to be honest with you. I guess, I guess reading it in this moment, you're like, oh, yeah, okay. This all makes sense now. I don't know. Yeah. For me, it reads the intentionality behind it all. Like the idea that Snape knew throughout the year as he was seeing Harry use these spells that it was um, him. Like, for me, it just calls back the Sectum Semper thing. Like, Snape knew then and didn't say anything that it was his own spell. So I just remember, like, my jaw dropping. Yeah. Yeah, I think I was pretty shocked, but in the sense that 
things that had happened earlier on in the book, like the Sectum Sempra spell and the Leva Corpus, all of it kind of came together and made sense mm-hmm. with him being the Half-Blood Prince. Definitely. And what do we make of Snape's reaction to being called a coward? You know, Harry's like, kill me then. Kill me like you killed him, you coward. Yeah. So first of and all... Oh, sorry. Snape is very visceral <laughs> in his reaction here. Yeah. First of all, it's really sad that Harry is just mentally at a place where he's encouraging Snape to kill him. Like, yeah. that's just awful. He's feeling that low. Um, but this is an important moment because I think it's also giving Snape Marauder's flashbacks. And I was doing some reading on this chapter. When when we do these chapter-by-chapter discussions, I like Googling the chapter to see what other discussions have been out there. And I found this live journal entry um, written before Deathly Hollows was released. And it brought up the good point that this was a scene for the Snape is good people. Um, they, they used, they pointed to this one because as this person wrote on their live journal, Dumbledore has in some way or another ordered him to kill him. And Snape is doing the bravest possible thing by obeying him and killing the only man who ever showed any faith in him. Snape is enraged because he is absolutely not a coward. He is anything but a coward. He had to do one of the hardest things in his life, kill Dumbledore. So for Snape... And he can't tell anyone about it either. Exactly. So that's why he's all capsing right now. And you got to feel for Snape in this moment too, because he wants the truth out there. He just can't yet. Yeah. At least to Harry. Right. Yeah. Yeah, And that kind of, I think it also, you know, goes back to being a coward is probably the worst insult for Snape to hear, especially coming from Harry, because everything he's risking and continues to risk is to protect him and Lily Potter's son. So it's just for him, he's like, I just killed someone that I love who had faith in me, but this is coming from the kid that I'm doing it for. And you also had another good point here, Alexa, about Hermione. (laughs) Yeah. My girl. (laughs) Yeah, I I just remember when I first read the chapter, I remember thinking, oh my goodness, Hermione was freaking right on point. Why do they always dismiss her thoughts? (laughs) Mm -hmm. She may not have gotten it quite right, but she had Eileen Prince and that was, I mean, that was pretty much right on point. Yeah. Yeah, she she was on track. Yeah. Classic rollingism to have all the info, but it comes too late. Mm hmm. So how do we feel? I know, Andrew, we talked about this a little earlier, but how do we feel about the movie treatment of this scene? Um, I actually watched the movie recently. I did find the end of the movie on a whole just the one big downer. It's it's not very exciting. It's just sad. Even even this, you know, I like the Snape moment where Harry is chasing him for a moment and I am the Half-Blood Prince. But the book is much better as always (laughs) yeah i wish that we had seen more of the dialogue that happened in this scene especially the like rage caps lock don't call me coward yeah bit i really think that alan rickman would have been able to carry that well and convincingly and also Um, because of how important it is to the story yeah 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 definitely Um, i'm glad it's not in the movie because i'm glad like he's not talking about your filthy father did this, that, the other thing, because the Marauders subplot was cut from the movies. So there's really not that connection there to be made about much of anything other than Snape being the Half-Blood Prince. So There's some Marauders in the movies. 
Yeah, you get a little bit of it in Order of the Phoenix during his occlumency lessons. So yeah. you get a little bit of it, but it's not – I don't know if it's enough – you get enough of that plot in order for a large amount of dialogue to be present. I don't know if a lot of people would be able to connect the dots. I feel like – didn't they have Snape at a couple of points in the movies make disparaging remarks about James Potter, though? I think so. Yeah, I, w- I would guess so. I can't remember – because I know they definitely did it in – Deathly Hallows Part 2 for the memories, but I can't remember if he had done it before that, like during his occlumency lessons with Harry. Mm. Hard to say. I feel like if they were going to, that's where they would have done it. Um, but even so, even if they had left out all the Marauder stuff here, because I think, Eric, you're right, that that is a subplot that was very poorly well, it wasn't used at all, um, and that's unfortunate. But I think that they still could have leaned on the idea of Snape reacting badly to Harry calling him a coward. I guess I'm just wondering if from like a moviegoer perspective, if that would have been too on the nose right? and tipped people off yeah. to you know, Snape's allegiances. So maybe that's something that is easier to accept in like literary format than movie format, which I'm cool with. But yeah. I agree with Andrew. This whole scene in the movie felt kind of anticlimactic. Yeah. It's like, it's kind of how f- f- people feel about Crimes of Grindelwald. It's like, it, mm-hmm. it leaves you hanging a little bit. You just want more at the end. Uh, we, definitely. We do get a identity reveal at the end of both movies. That's nice. <laughs> yeah. I am the half-blood Aurelius Dumbledore. <laughs> Yeah, but at this point, you're just kind of numb from, like, the loss that you've suffered, you know? Exactly. Yeah, and doesn't, it doesn't really fall with the weight mm-hmm. of a Hogwarts headmaster onto the grounds. Wow. So after all of this, Harry approaches the base of the tower where Dumbledore's body is laying. And this yeah. is such a heart-wrenching scene. I mean, Dumbledore is, like, all splayed out and weird and his limbs are all messed up from the fall and there's (laughs) blood coming out of his mouth um and harry notices the locket on the ground because he's leaning on it and you know hats off to dumbledore's really loose pockets apparently that allowed that to fall out (laughs) you need some zippers on those yep doesn't matter now but really really convenient for the plot thank you dumbledore (laughs) Um, well, somebody, yeah, I guess. I mean, if I was Harry, I would have probably at some point wanted to go through his pockets to ch- check out what he's got on him. <laughs> I was going to say, is that he, morbid? If Harry, Just to see if he has any cool if Harry stuff. Doesn't, yeah. yeah, yeah, the put outer. What other cool gadgets of his own making? Or, or like, a, like a heart necklace with Harry's picture in it. Oh, oh. and then Grindelwald's on the other side. Um. <laughs> and Harry's, Harry's like, why is Johnny Depp in here? <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, this... if, if Harry didn't find the locket now, he'd have to loot Dumbledore's corpse later. So yeah. it's probably best that it was out. Yeah, and also just for, you know, pacing. I feel like the moment... And this, you know what? This is part of the reason why I think the end of the movie kind of felt anticlimactic because they don't make this R.E.B. reveal until later when he, Ron, and Hermione are like up in the tower Whereas I think it's so much more poignant for him to be like by Dumbledore's body, looking at the, you know, inside of this locket and realizing, holy crap, this is not a real Horcrux. (laughs) This is fake news. Like, what am I supposed to do with this? You know, it's sort of like 
he in that moment you feel like Dumbledore died for nothing. I don't disagree, but at that point, Harry himself has no emotions left to give. It's the book says he feels nothing. Um, we know he doesn't really feel nothing, but that's how I think as a reader you'd feel or I feel because it's just like if it was all for nothing, what's the point then? And you can't help but just kind of be angry at uh, you know the plot at that point. I think. So I yeah, and with the yeah. and with the RAB thing, it's just kind of like in the book it says, you know, without even thinking about it, Harry opened the locket, and he just kind of crumples it up and throws it away. I don't mind that they moved the place where you find out about it because it's clearly not something you're going to get an answer to in this book. It's very much like a here's the seed that is going to be explored later kind of a plot point. So I don't mind if it's revealed in front of Dumbledore's corpse or later at the end of the. You know, I guess the movie on the Astronomy Tower or wherever they are. Yeah, I guess just to me, there's when you read that, there's that sense of hopelessness that comes with like right before like all of the major events of the following book. Harry is at like the lowest low, you know, our leader in this resistance is dead and it was all for nothing in that moment. And so I guess that feeling elevates the feelings that you have later in book seven when they do have some success and when they also have some failures. So I feel like that low moment really helps to establish the arc of the next book. Yeah. And that's why I'm disappointed that it wasn't included in the movie. I think that's really fair. Um, The movie at this point is gearing up to omit all of Dumbledore's funeral. But, <laughs> oh, I forgot about that too. Yeah, yeah, which is which is really amazing, and I can't wait to read it and figure out all the people that show up because it's tons of people from other books mm-hmm. we haven't heard from in a real long time. Um, but I actually noticed something while reading that I wanted to bring to your guys' attention. So we know in the movie, instead of doing Dumbledore's funeral, they have this very touching. I forget if it's like McGonagall that starts it, but like all the witches and wizards hold their wands up and like the wand tip lighting thing it's now become a staple of the theme park anytime something opens open up the lift up your wands light up the sky very very touching way i think it works for the movie how they just kind of light their wand tips and do this but i was wondering so that's it's not in the books but it there is something in the books so here's the quote harry pulled out the fragment of parchment this is rib's note opened it and read by the light of the many wands that had now been lit behind him. So people are just lighting their wands because it's dark on the castle grounds, right? People are... It's a crime scene now. Yeah, they're, try, they're trying to like figure Those out... Those aren't wands, they're police flashlights. They're trying to figure <laughs> out what's going on. So all these wands are lit behind Harry because people just want to see. But I wonder if in the adaptation... They didn't take that to mean because there's all these wands that are lit behind him that people are lighting their wands almost as if in tribute. Maybe. I wonder if the genesis of that idea doesn't come straight from this quote. It could, yeah. Visually, it's a very striking thing to see on screen. So I'm I'm glad that they, whoever came up with that, did. It's something that even fans do now, too. I mean, you say it's for like big ride openings, but... You'll be doing it this week, I'm sure. Probably. (laughs) I'll be like, no. (laughs) No, but in all seriousness, when there was that terrible Pulse nightclub shooting here in Orlando, uh, one of the people who died was a Wizarding World employee. And I know J.K. Rowling 
which I thought was great, uh, paid tribute to him on Twitter, but also there was a tribute to him in the parks, just a fan thing. And they all pointed their wands at Hogwarts at dusk or something like that. And it was a super sweet moment. There's photos of it. Um, that, that type of thing has really resonated with fans, actually. So it's great on multiple levels. I'd forgotten about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. So wrapping things up, I thought we could connect some threads. Um, these were things that I noticed. But if there were any instances that y'all noticed, please feel free to speak up. Um, so the first one I brought up was that Harry, Ron, and Ginny all make appearances during the book's climactic scenes, whereas Hermione does not, just like in Chamber of Secrets. Um, I was kind of wondering, why is she not here <laughs> fighting alongside all of them? Oh, Laura, give her a break. No, no, no. I'm not. No, that's a good point. I'm, that's not, a... I'm not crapping on her. I'm just wondering, like, what. <laughs> I'm kidding. What happened that Ron and Ginny were like, okay, we're going. I can't imagine if Hermione was there that she would have been like, nah, I'm not <laughs> yeah. not doing that. <laughs> right. You know? She would definitely be one to head into the action. So, yeah, I don't know. That's a that's a good question. Maybe she's teaching Hagrid the Aguamenti spell, although he's in the scene <laughs> too, so I guess not. Maybe she was asleep. But don't we know that she also drank some of the liquid luck, the Felix Felicis? So maybe she was just away from Ron and Ginny. She had a sudden lucky urge to go to the bathroom on the second floor. (laughs) She drank the action. And then Felix was like, you should just stay in and study. (laughs) (laughs) It's a good night for that. I I heard you say she went to bed, Laura. I like that answer, too. Maybe she was just in bed. I like to think about all the Hogwarts students who just slept through this whole thing and then woke up the next morning like, what the F? Because that's what would happen to me. I, I could sleep through like a nuclear blast. Yeah. And it would not be a problem. And then I would wake up in the morning and be like, why is it nuclear winter outside? Um, <laughs> and it so, was late at night. So yeah. it makes perfect sense. Um, So another point is uh, at this point in Chamber of Secrets, sort of in the in the ending chapters of the book, Harry unknowingly has a real Horcrux, whereas here he knowingly has a fake one. <laughs> yeah. That hurts. <laughs> yeah. It's like, ouch. Yeah. Um, and then in Chapter 17, the heir of Slytherin in Chamber of Secrets, Riddle says that Dumbledore has been driven out of the castle by the mere memory of him. Um just to kind of go over what was happening there, Dumbledore had been banned from the school by the Board of Governors, which included Lucius Malfoy uh, voting on that. Hmm. And it's just interesting that here Riddle is saying like, oh, I drove Dumbledore out of the school just by using my memory. Um, and now Dumbledore has literally been driven out of the school. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, and then... In chapter 18 of Chamber of Secrets, uh, Dobby's reward, Harry and Ron each received 200 house points for Gryffindor because of rescuing Ginny from the Chamber of Secrets. And this is another one that hurts. In this chapter, Harry passes the Gryffindor hourglass and it's broken and all of its rubies are like falling out. Oh. Mm. So at one end of the series, they're gaining points and at the other end of the series, they're losing them. Did you like Google for these or did you find all these yourself? So I from memory went, <laughs> I looked up 
like some wikis for summaries. And then if mm. I saw something that seemed like a good hook, I pulled the book out and wow, like, nice. You rock. That's pretty impressive. I yeah, like it. I love doing these. I'm a huge fan of frame narratives. Yeah. Um, which is what this is. So I love the yeah. idea of like each of the books corresponding and then having book four is like the centerpiece. I wonder um, if uh, those rubies have any monetary value. If any of the kids could now, you know, get rich by grabbing <laughs> some. <laughs> you think they're worth something. Yeah. Are they real rubies though? No, but it's still like, ooh, collectible. <laughs> this was in the... In Hogwarts. Know. Yeah. You see him <laughs> selling them on the Wizarding Dark Web. Andrew, we- right. I can totally see you doing this. You're stealing them and <laughs> flipping is, them for some this cash. This is your Slytherin nature coming out for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I gotta, I gotta pay for those Slytherin shoes somehow. <laughs> and then finally, in Chapter 18 of Chamber of Secrets, it's revealed that Lucius Malfoy was behind Dumbledore's dismissal from the school, as well as depositing Tom Riddle's diary into Jenny's textbooks. And I thought that these deliberate attempts are an interesting parallel to Draco's also deliberate yet half-hearted attempts to kill Dumbledore and Half-Blood Prince. Oh, yeah. In book two, Lucius is working directly against Dumbledore. Mm -hmm. And in book six, Draco is directly working against Dumbledore. Right. That's kind of cool. Those are great. So uh, if you have any feedback about today's discussion, send it on in, mugglecast at gmail.com, or use the contact form on the website. And we're about to get to MVP of the week and rename the chapter, but first... First, we wanted to hear a quick word from one of our sponsors, Third Love. Third Love is the company that is making the most comfortable bras out there. They use data points generated by millions of women who have taken their Fit Finder quiz to design bras with breast size and shape in mind for a perfect fit and premium feel. I've actually been wearing Third Love's bras for about a year now and can attest that the Fit Finder quiz is on point and can even help you realize you may have been wearing the wrong size for years. Every customer has 60 days to wear their bras, wash them, and put them to the test. And if you don't love them, return them and Third Love will wash it and donate it to a woman in need. They even have fit stylists who are dedicated to helping you find your fit via text, chat, or phone. And returns and exchanges are always free and easy. As if that wasn't enough, this is hands down the most comfortable bra you'll ever own. They're lightweight, have straps that won't slip, and tabless labels so no itching. Plus, they have super thin memory foam cups that mold to your shape and are proprietary to Third Love. I personally own five of the 24-7 Perfect Coverage bras and two of the Seamless Lounge bras, and these are just must-have staples. It wasn't until I put one of these on for the first time that it dawned on me that bras should feel flexible and soft enough to be barely there, but simultaneously supportive enough to feel comfortable in my day-to-day. This brand is also size-inclusive, and I love how they model their bras on women of various shapes, sizes, ages, and backgrounds. Third Love knows there's a perfect bra for everyone, so right now they're offering listeners of MuggleCast 15% off your first order. Go to thirdlove.com slash MuggleCast now to find your perfect fitting bra and get 15% off your first purchase. That's thirdlove.com slash MuggleCast for 15% off today. Okay. So it's time now for MVP of the week, and I honestly could not think of <laughs> <Just to give laughs> <Really? it to laughs> No, 
I just, yeah, nobody deserves it this chapter. I'll give it to Dumbledore's dead body just because, man, that sucks to be all disheveled and <laughs> have an arm broken. And oh you're just gosh. laying there. I mean, this iconic wizard is now just in shambles and everybody is just staring at this mess, this cold mess on the ground. Poor guy. So Dumbledore's dead body for uh, having to deal with that. Oh, man. Well, um, I was kind of torn between two. Uh, the first I decided was going to be RAB for just mic dropping all over Voldemort, <laughs> even though Voldemort doesn't really know. <laughs> but, I mean, the dude figured out a pretty decently guarded secret, and then I think he's definitely the MVP. And then second, I just put the other members of the order for not dying like Dumbledore did. Oh, yeah, finally. We found uh, something that people can be better at than Dumbledore was. <laughs> Living. <laughs> That's really Living. mean. Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty savage. Yeah, it is. I love it, though. Um, I gave mine to Snape for being able to hold it all together. Yeah. I don't know if I could have done it, you know? Yeah. Well. It's tough. Andrew, if you Andrew, if you came to me and you were like, hey, um, at the end of this year, I need you to kill me because I'm going to die anyway. First of all, I wouldn't agree to do it. But if I did, I would have a really hard time in the moment actually pulling it off. Right. Because well, I care about nice you, you that much. Yeah. I thought you were going to say, you were going to ask me, can I just do it now? Can I just kill you now? <laughs> the no. sooner the better. I mean, like, would I still get paid? <laughs> you get bonus for uh, doing it sooner. <laughs> bonus cash. <sighs> and uh Eric? Uh, I also gave the MVP to RAB for reasons already stated by Alexa. Okay. Yeah, the RAB answer was probably the best one. Now rename the chapter Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince Chapter 28. RAB in, HBP out. <laughs> it's funny how like one mystery is solved and another immediately begins after that. Yeah. Although Harry doesn't really care in this moment. Yeah, that's great. Um, I named mine after Hagrid in this chapter. Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince, Chapter 28, Thick Skin Required. We know that Hagrid's giant skin seems to give him extra protection against Raoul's spells. So, mm, yeah. Eric, is that thick with two C's? Or... Um, no? Question mark? It's very trendy. Uh, I'm going to be non-trendy in this particular area. It's making me feel weird. <laughs> I bet I bet Hagrid's coats help as well. I feel like he wears multiple layers of clothing at all times. Yeah, doesn't he wear like moleskin coats or something like yeah, that? Yeah, and they have like little creatures inside them, so maybe they're mm -hmm. taking the the bl the brunt of uh, all the spells. Mm -hmm. oh, yeah, yeah, they seem pretty thick too. Yeah. <laughs> Is that what two C's, Alexa? I don't know. Maybe. Anytime I read that word when someone writes it online, I read it as thick. <laughs> <laughs> Giving an extra emphasis yes. to the second C. I just think of it in a sexy way. Thick. Yeah. Hagrid's yeah. thick. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. See, and if only Madame Pomfrey had given him that kind of recognition instead of just treating him like he was three people standing in the hospital wing. Oh, God. Yeah. So mean. All right. I would do mine as Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince, Chapter 28, Hashtag Fake News. Horcrux. <laughs> All right. And I did uh, Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince, Chapter 28, Chasing Snape and Draco. Mm. It's true. 
Snape really does a good job in this chapter at keeping Draco out of the whole battle, you know? Yeah. Yeah, like grabbing him and saying, it's time to go, get out of here, keep going. And presumably he's blocking curses fired at Draco or himself the entire way down the stairs. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah and Draco gets away unscathed. Completely, yeah. We don't even know that he gets like a bruise or draws blood at all. So that's pretty massive uh, success on Snape's part. Mm-hmm. Well, we have one more sponsor this week. They are for everyone listening because everyone is a Harry Potter fan who might want to show off their passion for the Wizarding World. I want to tell you about the Wizarding World figurine collection from Eagle Moss Hero Collector. They are officially authorized by Warner Brothers, and they offer a slew of brand new Harry Potter and Fantastic Beasts figurines. From Harry to Newt, Dumbledore to Voldemort, the Akami to to a Dementor, Every figurine has been sculpted in a classic movie pose at 116th scale. So maybe you could buy the Dumbledore one and drop him off a tower tower if you wanted to. Bring it to life. (laughs) Each character comes with a guide so you can learn a little more about them, which is a really unique touch in the merchandising world. I have not seen that with any other Harry Potter merchandise. I took some pictures for our social media channels the other day. And I had a lot of fun opening them up and putting them together in certain scenes, and they look great on your shelf. You can collect every figurine in the Wizarding World collection and create this landscape of characters. It's really cool. Sign up for the collection at herocollector.com wizards and get your first figurine, which is a spellcasting Harry Potter as seen in the Battle of Hogwarts, for only $9.95 with free shipping. Do it now, and Hero Collector will add Hermione Granger as a year one student for free. And what's more, you get a free exclusive art print. It's included with every shipment. And then thereafter, two new figurines with detailed character guides and art print will be delivered each month for only $15.95 plus $2.45 shipping each. And as a subscriber, you're also eligible for special offers and free gifts personalized to the Hogwarts house of your choice. Plus, you may cancel your subscription at any time. So there's no long-term commitment. For details and to take advantage of the special offer, visit HeroCollector.com slash Wizards and get collecting. So it's time now for Quizich. Yes, last week's question, who did Draco mistake for being dead? We remember at the top of the tower, Draco's like, yeah, somebody's dead down there. Don't know who. Well, it turns out that it is Bill Weasley, uh, who is very much alive, but we don't really find that out yet. It's actually answered in next week's chapter. But the correct answer is Bill Weasley. That's who Draco thought was dead. Issy Marcantonio over on Twitter answered and said, Yay, you guys are back. You go off air for two weeks, and I have an ear infection for two weeks. Suspicious. Anyway, this week's Quizage answer is Bill Weasley. I thought that Well, was it's funny. been proven by the FDA that we actually uh, are good for your ears. <laughs> we clean you out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and other... Uh, Quizich successful answers came from Steph, Sarah, Haley, JK Not Rolling, aka Julianne C, Sarah Davis, Daniel Etak, Jason King, Lourdes, Fluffy McNutters, Karen Freud, Molena, and Grindy and Voldy. So congratulations uh, to all those winners. Next week's question also comes from the next chapter, and it is From whom does Lupin learn that Dumbledore? has died who tells lupin or who who does lupin hear it from that dumbledore is dead and submit your answers over to us on twitter hashtag quizich at mugglecast what if social media existed in the harry potter books and like harry makes this post about 
Dumbledore dying, like, R.I.P., I loved you so much. And that's how Lupin learned about it. And Lupin does the wow face emoji, or the wow face. (laughs) Wow, can't believe he's dead. The wow face react. Whoa. What do we think the hashtag would have been? Rippledor. (laughs) Rip, yeah, Rip Dumbledore, Rippledore. What do you mean, the hashtag for his death? Yeah, you know there would have been one. Dumbo gone. Dumble, <laughs> Dumble dead. Dumble, Dumble dead. <laughs> wow, we're really mean. I'm sorry if anybody gets upset by how we make fun of Dumbledore dying. It's all out of love. It is. Yeah, we all love him. Speaking of social media, do follow us on Instagram. When the new Hagrid ride opens up later this week, I will be making some posts on our channel, Instagram.com slash MuggleCast. And in addition to covering cool events like the one happening this week, we also post clips from the show so you can check out what we are listening or what we are talking about before you actually listen to the episode. And we also post memes and, uh, you know, what's going on in our own lives in relation to Harry Potter. So check it out. Username MuggleCast on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. We would also love your support on Patreon. You'll receive instant access to installments of Bonus MuggleCast, early access to our show via the weekly live streams. Thank you to everybody who is listening live on this Sunday morning. And uh, MuggleCast throwbacks. For example, Eric recently posted the show doc for episode 100, which is super cool. And also, you guys, so I recently became an uncle about a year ago now, so not so recently. But my nephew... Uh, encountered a Harry Potter toy for the first time. And my mom actually took a picture and sent it to me. And it was really cute seeing my nephew look at Harry Potter for the first time. You know, it's kind of special. So I I posted that photo on on our Patreon. Uh, Your support goes to keeping the show rocking and rolling. We've been able to do so much with the funds we have raised through Patreon. Um, I'd mentioned before we started recording, I think, that we're actually going to a podcast convention in Orlando in August because we said, what can we do to be extremely hot this summer and want to die? And we said, let's go to a podcast convention (laughs) in August in Orlando, Florida. So that's what we're doing. (laughs) But um, it'll it'll be a fun opportunity for us to get together and uh, learn more about podcasting and network and stuff like that. So these are the types of things that your support goes to. And of course, because of the Patreon, we are weekly again. Alexa, thank you for supporting us on Patreon. Of course. I love listening to you guys every week. Cool. Well, we really appreciate it. Um, Listeners, it it might be safe to plug in your you-know-what again, if you did that already, if you had to unplug it. And, uh, yeah, we hope you had a good time on the show today. Yeah, I had Alexa. a great time. Thanks for having me, you guys. Absolutely. And you were great. Yeah, you were. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, Alexa told us she had a podcasting mic ready to go because she once almost did a podcast herself. <laughs> yeah, almost. And then decided against it. What would it have been called? What would it yeah. have been about? Uh, the what about? Don't know. The what it was called? We had an idea about calling it something like Legends in Our Own Minds. Um. Because I think I'm way hmm. cooler than I probably actually am. So, um, but yeah, ended up just too busy. Couldn't couldn't do it. Yeah, yeah. No, oh, well, that's okay. I feel like a lot of people probably go that way. They're like, let's start a podcast, and they're like, oh, we don't have the time actually. Yeah, it's crazy how much work actually goes into putting <clears throat> a decent podcast together. Yeah, yeah. You said you were impressed with you. You said you were impressed with our show doc. I was like, oh, thank you. <laughs> 
Yeah, it's very organized. Love it. (laughs) I'm an outline guy, personally. Love the outlines. All right. Well, um, if you want to get in touch with us, a reminder, you can call us 19203-MUGGLE. That's 19203684453. Just try to keep your voicemail around a minute and call us from a quiet place. And ideally, don't use Bluetooth because those tend to sound bad and we want to play a good sounding recording on the podcast. You can also email us, mugglecast at gmail.com, or use the contact form on our website. Thanks, everybody, for listening. I'm Andrew. I'm Eric. I'm Laura. And I'm Alexa. Bye, everybody. See ya. Bye.